salvation. Thank you, Lord, that so good to us, Lord, that we will receive good news, Lord, from you, that you love us, that you take care of us and watch over us. I thank you, Lord, that you grace us enough to forgive us, Lord, that uh, you've made the initiative, Lord, to show your love towards us. I thank you, Father, that uh, your love is is attractive, Lord, that, that we respond in faith to you. I pray, Father, that as we as we read your word, Lord, that uh, we'll grow in our faith, that we'll be strengthened in it, uh, that we'll trust you more as a result of it. We just uh, pray this time is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. All right. So we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. All right, First Kings chapter 18, and we're going to be starting at uh, verse 8. First Kings chapter 18, verse 8. So we're going to be reading about uh, Elijah. Um, again, this could be uh, some sections that we're going to read is going to be very familiar to what we've, uh, we've read about in the past or we've heard about in Sunday school, like, <clears throat> like many of the heroes of the faith. But as we're going through this, a lot of this is going to be very similar uh, to our day and our time. But again, things were a little bit worse, I believe, back then for what Elijah was going through. But a lot of it could be very applicable for us. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's, it's been, you know, as we've been kind of seeing, you know, folks you've known for a while and, and folks in the church and, and the kids and, and things like that. It's been shocking to see the number of people that have left the faith. It's been shocking to see the, the number of people that seem like they were faithful, but then aren't. Uh, it's actually downright scary. It's incredibly discouraging sometimes also. And I think we've seen also through the last few heroes of the faith that we've read about, there was a lot of things going on around them also that could have been incredibly discouraging where it didn't seem like anybody was faithful except for one or just a few. And the things going on in Elijah's time is, is very similar. Listen to this. So let's go to verse, 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, starting at verse, so we'll start verse 7. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. Now, this Obadiah is not the same Obadiah from the, the minor prophets that we find here. Obadiah was somebody who worked for King Ahab. This is the turning time of King Ahab and Jezebel. And this is a time of incredible wickedness going throughout Israel. This is when the things in Israel got really, really bad. Jezebel was the daughter of a pagan monarch from another country. She married into the family of Israel with Ahab. And so Jezebel and Ahab made things horrible. If you want to go to a time of cultic practices of Baal worship, as, as nasty as you can get when it comes to paganism, Jezebel and Ahab were the king and queen for the time. It was bad. Now, Obadiah is the servant of Ahab. And he's going along, and he runs into Elijah. And Elijah's already been known in Israel at this time. Elijah's done some pretty incredible things. And the biggest thing that he has done on the scene is he's gone and told Ahab, the Lord is judging Israel, and it is no longer going to rain. It will not rain for at least three years. And after he said it, everything went dry. Now, if you can imagine, is Elijah very popular amongst the people that time, especially of Ahab? Well, of course not. 
Now, even though God is the one who's closed up the, the, the sky, it's not Elijah. Elijah's just simply just giving the message, but yet Elijah's put as the blame for the reason behind it. Now, listen to this. Verse 8. Yes, he replied, go and tell your master Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear that they cannot find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go until Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here, he will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Now, one of the things that really sticks out when you read that is that Obadiah is terrified that he goes and tells Ahab that Elijah is there because what is the servant afraid of? He's afraid that the Lord's going to take Elijah and tell him to go somewhere else and that by the time he tells him to go back, Elijah's gone. I mean, that's the one thing that stands out very big in that. But really the thing that should stand out is look at the conditions going on in Israel at that time. Things are so bad that the, the king and queen are going around, specifically the queen, in killing all the Lord's prophets. Anybody that is faithful to God, they're killing. It's like saying the monarchs are going after those who are Christians, who are true followers of God, and killing them off. And killing them off one by one by one. If you're faithful, you're dead. If you're speaking out for God, you're dead. And what we have here is that this Obadiah, the servant of the king, has gone and got a hundred of these prophets and hid them in caves so that the king couldn't find them. And he was providing food and water for them. Where do you think he was getting that food and water from? More than likely the king's provisions. So he goes and says, you want me to go and say that Elijah is here? Not only are you possibly going to disappear and go off somewhere else, but also he might find out what I've done that I fit these people. It's going to mean death for me. Verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? You know what's really frustrating about this? Who's the one troubling Israel? Ahab. He's the, him and his wife are the ones being unfaithful. They're the ones that are, that are turning Israel into a, a, a pagan nation. They're the ones who have been faithful to God. Elijah was simply the one saying, God said, because of your sin, he is going to close up the heavens so that it does not rain. It's because of you. But what is Ahab going to do? Oh, no, no. You're the one troubling Israel. You're the one messing up with things. Verse 18. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And there's something about this that becomes kind of exciting for us because it's like, okay, good. There's, about a, there's going to be about to be a fight that's going to go down. They're going to expose the wrong. They're going to you know, pull back the shade and show exactly who's running things. And they're going to see exactly the falsehood and the, the devastation that's going on because of this individual. 
And finally, the right will stand up and the wrong is going to be exposed for exactly who they are. Verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Now, I don't believe it was just Elijah and 400 people. It's Elijah, the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah. You know the king is there, as well as if the people know that this is going on, could you imagine the crowd of people crowded around to see like, oh my gosh, like Elijah's come out of the woodwork, right? This is the guy who pronounced the king that the heavens were going to close up, Then it hasn't rained. We've been, we've been starving. Things have been going bad. There's been a famine throughout the land. The king wants this guy dead. And now there's going to be a challenge between one versus 450. I mean, the amount of people that must have been there to watch this thing go down. Verse 22, then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God and I will call in the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Seems like a very even-handed contest, right? We'll create two sacrifices. We'll see which God answers, and whatever God answers, that's the one true God. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Now, in this, we're going to see Elijah incredibly confident, incredibly strong, ready to, you know, full confidence in the world and in faith and trust in God that God's going to come through. It says this, verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Okay, just that would keep me out of that really. <laughs> right, as is their custom. This is what they did to somehow get Baal's response. Midday passed. And they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. There was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Why? Because there was no one there. Because there is no bail. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which is in ruins. This is something pretty incredible. You know, I don't know at what point in time this altar was built on Mount Carmel, but anytime there was an altar of the Lord, it was very simple. It was rocks. It was just a rock, a regular rock, 12 of them. They were built up, and then a sacrifice was done on it. It wasn't supposed to be carved. It wasn't supposed to be made into any type of image. It wasn't even supposed to be ornate. It was just to be 12 regular rocks. But this altar of the Lord had already been there, and it was already in disrepair, and it was already destroyed because no one had been using it. It was literally left in ruins. It, was, it would almost be like 
you and I are living in a place where there was no church, not a one, nothing. And you're looking around for anybody that's faithful. The only faithful folks that you know about are hidden away somewhere. You can't tell their whereabouts, but they can't do anything. They're, they're just hiding out because people are off to kill them. And then you go in our day and age and, and say, okay, let's find who the one true God is. Let's see if you man are God or if there is a God out there. And you go to a place that seems like a religious area and there happens to be a church there, but it's like one of those churches that you see in a, in a town that's kind of been, you know, like a ghost town just left and just left in ruins. And you go and that is the symbol of where the faith of God is in that land. Destroyed, in ruins, abandoned, not used. And Elijah is like this last person there. And he says, okay, let's go. He goes and he repairs that altar, which was in ruins. He takes 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the Lord, the, the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two sayas of seed, which seems to be, look at the bottom of the Bible, is like 13 quarts. A little over, what, two gallons or so, or three gallons? He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Now, if you remember back, how long did it take the prophets of Baal to do their religious rituals, praying, calling out, dancing, and cutting themselves? It was from the morning until the evening. So we're looking at what? 10 hours, eight hours of time that they were involved in this event? Elijah, it's now Elijah's turn. Let's see how long Elijah has to spend in religious observance for God to respond. He prays, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Was Elijah's idea? Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. After he prays that one prayer, I'll let him take to read that. Five seconds, 10 seconds. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. <laughs> now we've had a little fire pit out there, and it takes forever to burn the wood. Even when the fire is burning hot and the wood seems like it's going pretty fast, it takes 30 minutes sometimes. When it's 45 minutes for that piece of wood to completely burn up, let alone if I were to douse it with water. But this fire from God comes down and soaks up everything and burns up everything. The wood, the stones, it's incredible, the soil, and also looked up the water. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. I mean, talk about like a, like a championship moment. It must have been like, I wonder what Elijah was seeing. Like, yeah, like, oh my gosh. Retribution. Finally, the people see the real from the false, right? They see what the, what the real truth is. Verse 40, then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. So it's not Elijah going down and cut. No, no. The people 
all the people that came to watch the contest go down respond and realize, oh my gosh, it's because of them, the bad guys. It's because of those guys. So they go and they go and they take them down and slaughter them there. So verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Now what's interesting is he says there's the sound of heavy rain, but if he looked up in the sky, it was clear as could be. It was a clear evening. There was no cloud in the sky. There was no rain off in the distance. There was no thunder rumbling. But he goes and says to Ahab, no, no, it's about to rain. It hadn't rained in three years because of God's judgment on Israel. Now, when you think about Elijah's faithfulness, it's incredible. I mean, that whole idea of that contest wasn't Elijah's idea. God commanded him, go and do this. Go tell the king it's not going to rain. Three years later, go tell the king to go up to Mount Carmel, bring all the prophets of Baal, and I want you to do this exactly like this. And he goes and does it. And then after this whole thing goes down, he goes and says, okay, go back to the king and tell him it's going to rain. And, oh, I don't see any rain. It's clear as can be. Tell him what's about to happen. So verse 43, uh, Elijah prays, and it says this, Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Part of me thinks Elijah got a little nervous. <laughs> okay, okay, God, he told me, tell him it's going to rain. Even though this whole thing comes down with fire, I see you respond this way, but you say it's about to rain. He tells him seven times to go back and see. Verse 44, the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Aside from the fact of how fast Elijah must have ran and what that must have looked like, that he could blaze past the chariot and run, it seems, well over 100 miles in one shot. Aside from that, Elijah has seen some incredible things simply because he took God in his word, didn't he? I mean, before this, the dead were raised. Before this, oil, the oil, olive oil never stopped flowing, bread never stopped coming. Uh, he, he watched God sustain people. He watched God raise a sick person up from the dead. He's gone and watched God completely shut up the sky. He watched God literally rain fire down from heaven and consume an offering. And then he saw God say, oh, yeah, it's going to rain. And he just watched that, that storm come through and rain fall down. Elijah's seen some incredible stuff. And you and I, if we're safe, right, we've seen God forgive us of our sins. We've seen him change our lives. We've seen him change the lives of our family. We've seen him answer prayer. We've seen him do incredible things. But as time goes, and as a life in a sinful world goes, and as troubles and trials and struggles and all those things come in our lives, and as we look around us, it's not uncommon for us to feel fearful, for us to feel discouraged, disillusioned, frustrated, doubting. And we look at stories like this and say, gosh, I wish I had faith like that. 
I wish I had seen God rain fire down. I mean, could you imagine? That would change my life. That would change everything. But get this. Verse nine, chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Right? He tells Jezebel, you'll never believe what just happened. It was incredible. You know, part of me wonders, is Ahab even like saying, like, I mean, are we right? Is this, is this right? They, I mean, the fire came down. It's raining now. The prophets are dead. He tells everything that had been done, but here's Jezebel's response. Verse 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. It's incredible. I don't blame him. I think we'd all take off running, especially if you could run as fast as he was the other time before, right? You take off. But what happened? He saw God bring fire down and 450 people massacred. And just one word from Jezebel saying, yeah, that don't make a difference. I don't care. I'm coming after you. And what does he do? What's his response? Terrified. You and I are in very good company. We're in very good company. He's terrified. He runs for his life. And when he comes to Beersheba, now if you were to look where Beersheba is compared to Jezreel and Mount Carmel, it is about as far south in Israel as you can get. It's going south fast. He gets to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the, de into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Here's his prayer. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Good for him. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. No, and that nap he wanted to be his final one. I'm going to go to the desert. I'm going to go just far enough away from everybody, far enough away from provisions, far enough away from everything. Lord, game over. I am done. I've had it. It's incredible how you go from one moment having incredible things. I mean, literally fire coming down from heaven. Him praying that it would rain and watching a huge storm just come up from the sea, starting from nothing, and then coming out and it raining. I mean, he's seen the dead raised right in front of his eyes. God commanded him to do something. He did exactly that, and it happened physically right there. And regardless of that, once Jezebel says, I'm coming after you, fear sets in, and he runs. And he says to God, I'm done. I'm done. You know, you and I, we look at the world around us. We look at all the COVID stuff, we all that type of stuff. And sometimes it's like, okay, come Lord Jesus. I'm done. Right? Let's, let's just game over. Why don't you come back? Let's just end this whole thing. You know, because it feels like it's too much. I feel like I'm the only one. And there's just a few people. Why is no one else faithful? Why does it seem like the church is always suffering and losing? I'm done. All at once. Second part of verse five, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Now, the reason why Elijah didn't go crazy about this whole event and go, how did that happen? 
is because he had been sustained like this before, a few years back when the famine first started, where God told him to go down to a brook. And while the, by the time that brook had, had gone dry, he had ravens coming and feeding him. Okay? So even that, even with all of that, alive to still, I'm done. So this angel comes, tells him to get up and eat, feeds him, and then he goes back and lays down again. Verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Because now we're finding out that Elijah is heading somewhere. Elijah is leaving this area. He goes up the desert and now he's going to go on even further. Where's he heading off to? Verse 8. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Anytime you see where it talks about Horeb or the mountain of God, what is the mountain of God? It's not the exact same place that Moses went on Sinai. It's the place that Moses received the commands of God. So you're going to have a, a point where, where God's man is going now off to this place, and he's going to Horeb. And what's the point of going to Horeb? Is it just to get as far away from Jezebel as possible? Well, Beersheba's far enough. I mean, he could have went any other direction, but he goes to Horeb. Why to Horeb? Because this is a place where God's met his people. This is a place where God spoke to Moses. This is actually a place that God revealed himself to Moses. Where God, Moses was actually able to see uh, the back of God. He goes there. He spends the night in the cave. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Like, what, what are you doing? Why are you here? It's almost like asking, why are you so afraid? Why, why did you run? Why, what's going on here? What's changed? He replied, verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've been very zealous for you. The Israelites have rejected your promise, your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, this is... Something pretty real. And Elijah, it seems like, has a pretty good point, doesn't it? You would think he's like, like, you know, we got some wins here. Let's just have the final win. And the final win for Elijah would have been the people repenting, responding in faith to God, and everything in Israel changing, and a wonderful reformation happening, and a wonderful future for Israel ahead. And Elijah goes and says, I've done all this stuff. I've been faithful. I've been obedient. And nothing has changed. And now they really want to kill me. Now they want me dead. It wasn't just I just stopped the rain. It's now we killed 450 people <laughs> of their folks. Now they really want me. And God says to him, I want you to stand on the mountain because you are about to see my presence and I'm about to pass by. Now for Elijah, this would have been something pretty incredible of, a, of something that God's going to do for him. Because this has only been done before to Moses. Because Moses asked God, he, Moses said to God, I'm done, I've had enough, at least let me see your glory. And that's where God then goes and displays his glory to Moses, putting his hand in front of his face as he goes by, which to, to Moses was an incredible event. An event like Elijah's about to go through is exactly the same type of event that um, Peter, James, and John had on the Mount of Transfiguration, where they see Jesus in all of his glory displayed, and they see standing by Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And they're so terrified by it that Peter even says, hey, do you think, should we build some buildings around you guys so that you have a place to be so we can kind of 
hide this glory because of the fear. Because when you see God's glory, it usually means you're going to die. But this is something that Elijah knows. Oh, my gosh, something big is about to happen. Second part of verse 11. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Because you would think, gosh, here comes God in all of his power. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram, also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mahulah to succeed you as prophet. Jael will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. <laughs> okay. But what about all the stuff I asked about? What about the, the, the questions I had? What about the, the things I said that, that are going on and that I'm the only one left and all those things? It doesn't seem like God's even answering the question for him. He just simply says and asks him, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? But in this, this uh, interaction that's going on be, uh, between God and Elijah, something incredible is happening because God has actually revealed himself to Elijah. Not through a powerful wind, which we would prefer. Not through an earthquake, like let's see the power. Not through a gigantic fire, let's see all the, God's power there. But simply through a gentle whisper. Elijah encounters God himself and simply God asks him the question one more time, what are you doing here? And then God goes and says to him, you need to go back. You need to go back, and I need you to do these specific things. And he lists out all these things, these people he's supposed to talk to, these other people he's supposed to anoint, and all these things. But then he reminds Elijah of one thing in verse 18. Yet, I reserve 7,000 in Israel. 7,000! All whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. This is incredible. Because here's the thing. Was Elijah the only one? No. For sure there were 100 more in the caves hiding out. I get that. So there are 100 hiding out in the caves. Elijah seems like he's the only one doing anything for God, being the only one faithful for him in Israel. But no. There were 7,000 more normal, regular people. Seamstresses, housewives, carpenters, masons traders, whatever, fishermen, living throughout Israel, suffering through the famine, suffering under a horrible regime of Jezebel and Ahab, watching paganism run rampant all around them. And God has said, these folks have also remained faithful. You're not the only one. You need to go back. And it's interesting. He's going to go back. He's now going to run into one of these faithful people. Verse 19. <laughs> And this is where we'll end after this. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. So he goes, so what does Elijah do? 
Is Elijah saying, nope, I'm done, game over, I call it quits, Lord, take my life, it's done? No, after Elijah encounters God, he's suddenly strengthened, and he now goes forward and actually remains obedient to God, continues on. He goes back, and he goes to the Elijah's son of Shabbat. He was, Elijah's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him, Elijah then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Again, people knew who Elijah was. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What, what have I done to you? So Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook and, and, and he put, wait, uh, burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. I and mean, this is kind of funny. This is almost like saying, like, when I leave my job, I'm going to go and like, burn the place down. Like, I'm going to leave, burn the place down, burn everything up. There is no turning back. I'm going forward. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. What's incredible in this, was Elijah the only one? No. When he goes to Elisha, who's busy plowing his fields, Puts his cloak on him, and Elisha knew exactly what that meant. That man, I, God wants me to follow this guy. When God told Elisha, follow this guy, follow Elijah, what does he do? He's like, okay, I'm done. He burns, like, not even like he left the farm equipment there. No, he kills all the oxen and burns up the equipment and then feeds all the people with the food. Like, I'm, like, this is, I'm losing everything. I'm going to go for it and follow God. I'm going to follow him. <clears throat> what we see in all of this is we see that these heroes of the faith are just like us. And we're going to see Elisha do incredible things after this that God does through him. And who is Elisha? He's a nobody plowing a field. But in God's eyes, he's faithful. Oh, along with 7,000 other people that are faithful. Those are the ones that stand out to God. Even when Elijah was there and God showed his presence to Elijah, which was an incredible gift for Elijah, God was saying to Elijah, I want you to know, you ain't that hot. There's 7,000 other people that are faithful just like you. No, but, I, I mean, fire came down from the sky, and, you know, 450 people were killed, and he didn't make it. They're faithful. The, 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 the thing that's difficult in all this type of stuff is to be faithful in the midst of something that's incredibly discouraging and disheartening. Even though Elijah saw all these things, the answer to you and I in helping our discouragement and our fear and all those things isn't for God to do something huge in front of us, shaking the world, burning everything up, you know, whirlwind and flying through. For Elijah, it was the gentle whisper of God reminding him that he's there and who he is. Elijah went to the mountain of God to spend time with God and get to know him. Because what was the source of his strength? God himself. I mean, if you're like me, I don't always go for my source of strength to God himself. When I get his church and things like that, I'd rather numb it up, right? I'd rather look at the little ticker symbol over the stocks and the crypto and let my mood go up and down with all of it, right? Because it's fun. It's easy. Versus actually going to the source of our strength, and that's God himself, even in the fear, even in the disillusionment, even the discouragement, even in Elijah's case where he just wanted to die. He goes and he actually runs into and goes to see God himself. And God goes and encourages him and reminds him exactly who he is, how good he is. And he simply says to him, 
You just got to keep being faithful. Because there's other people that are being faithful too. Even when you and I look around our world today, our community today, our state, our country, whatever, and we look and we say, gosh, it seems like there's so few of the faithful. Just know that you and I are not the only ones. We're not the only ones. And when fear and disillusionment and, and frustration and things like that rise up, we're in good company. Because the greatest heroes of the faith ran through the exact same thing. The same thing. But who is their source of strength, though? It was God himself. You and I don't approach the mountain of God. What do we approach? The throne of grace. We literally have access to God's very throne. And we don't have to go to a mountain and wait for God to come down. Because in Christ, that's been removed. In Christ now, we actually can go to the throne of God. How do we go to the throne of God when I'm standing here on this earth? Because when we pray to God, we literally are, it says our prayers go right before him, right before his throne all the time. And that throne of grace is something that's giving us unmerited favor and love and mercy and encouragement and a reminder of who we are and a reminder of who God is. That's what we can approach. So we ought not to be disillusioned. We ought not to be afraid. We ought not to want to give everything up. God's called us to a life of faithfulness, however long our lives continue, or however long until he returns. Our job is to simply remain faithful. There were 7,000 people, 7,000 people not calling down fire from heaven. There were 7,000 people not killing 450 prophets of Baal. There were 7,000 people not telling the sky to stop raining and then later on to tell it to rain again. There were 7,000 people getting up in the morning, having breakfast, taking care of their chickens and their fish and doing all whatever else. 7,000 people going to work and coming home and going to bed and getting up another day. And God said to Elijah, you're just like them. So you and I can be heroes of the faith, simply being faithful day in and day out to God in our daily life. He's not calling us to do all these things, right? He's calling us to call fire and all that stuff. He's calling us simply to be faithful. Yeah? Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that your word will do its work in our hearts and our lives. I pray, Father, that's what we remember. I pray, Father, as we think about uh, what we've read the rest of this day, Lord, the rest of this week, that we're going to be reminded of what we've read in your word, Lord, and that it will encourage us. Uh, and help us to move forward in you. I pray, Father, that we truly will be faithful. I pray, Lord, that even in our, maybe the simplicity of our lives, that uh, we won't become complacent just because we don't have some little program to follow or, or some group thing to do uh, that makes us feel like we're being faithful. Lord, I pray, Father, that we uh, truly make the effort to be in communion with you throughout the day, uh, to be repenting of sin throughout the day, uh, to be uh, actually putting effort into uh, being faithful and being godly in everyday actions in our life. I pray, Father, that uh, bless our, bless our time together and the meal that we share together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.